You are listening to episode 5 of the Untitled Asian American Music Podcast. This week, we learn all about Taiwan. We find out not only how to say William in Spanish, but also hear a great related trap remix. And Dan Matthews is definitely here this week. So if you're listening for him, definitely keep listening because he is definitely part of the podcast again, as he usually is. Definitely on it. Please listen if you are Danny Kid and fan because he's definitely on it this week. Thank you. You are listening to the Untitled Asian American Music Podcast, the number one Untitled Asian American Music Podcast on the internet. It is the fifth episode, and I think we can keep saying this. We are not yet dead. <laughs> you kind of switched it around. Usually it's we're not dead yet. We're not dead yet. We are we're not, not yet dead. That sounds dead. so ominous. <laughs> like, <we're laughs> like it's definitely going to happen. I mean, we are. So we are all also kind of sick today. So we're going to be a little bit congested, um, but it's all good. I am Sean. I'm Mesmi. I'm Trisha. I'm Richie. And today we are unfortunately missing one of our oh, one no. of our rank, oh. Mr. Dan, also we known as Dan. Dan. We miss you. Presently. Is not here, but we will we will we will forge on yes. um, while he is off. The spirit of Dan will lead the Styrofoam Cup later. Yes, while he is off touring and making the world a better place. But it's been a big big month um, and a big big week, so we got some stuff for you to talk about. Richie, what's going on? So anyway, so we are super excited. The month of May, obviously, is uh, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Woo! Go Asian month. Our month. Our month. Our month. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And um, we are super excited because um, just for this specific podcast, we're happy that we got it done, or we're going to get it done within the month. We're a little late. We're a little but late, but you know we're excited about it, and there's just been so much happening. But Sean, let, let's talk about like um, the history of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. The history. The history. Of Asian Pacific. So, um, Her story. So we've been here for a minute. In the Americas, uh, I mean, I think like there's like people talk about how um, like I think a lot of people sort of think about Asian America as being a relatively new community when in reality, you know, you hear about stories of Chinese sailors like showing up in America before Columbus did, um, etc., etc. Um, and but like I think in terms of the current wave of folks who live here. Um, we we sort of started in like the 1800s a lot of it with labor, so Asian American Heritage Month kind of came out of the growing Asian American community again. Like Asian America, as a term, did not exist until like the late 60s when Professor Yuji Chioka over at UCLA coined the term, and so he well not him but like and so him and his is. His, his constituents were building this Asian American community and identity and 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 body of work that was that was very much modeled after like the Black Power movement and the Civil Rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of looking at our histories and seeing where they overlapped and seeing how we could grow from that. And so the Heritage Month actually came around in the early seventies, I believe, early or maybe late seventies, sometime in that decade. And uh, it was May was chosen because it commemorated um, the first Japanese workers who came over in 1893. Is that Columbus? Not 1493. Again, we're all kind of sick, so this is going to be a little bit of a cloudy episode. 
Woo. Uh, and then um, also the end of the, the the completion of the transcontinental railroad, which which mm-hmm. most which was mostly um, done by Chinese workers, many of whom who were died or injured who died or were injured um, while while making it. So the month is sort of an excuse or a reason rather for us to like look back at our heritage, <laughs> as it were. Um, and also, I mean, I think to, for me, a lot of it is like to also question what we mean when we, when we say Asian American, like it's such a, it, today I feel like it's such a big mm. term. Yeah. Like it's like what so many countries and people and anyhow, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a month that I think is important for us to like question ourselves and like think about our history, but then also celebrate our current state and then look mm. to the future and see how many other podcasts we can create <laughs> with the words Asian American in it. <laughs> and the month has been, like we said, it's like, it's incredible. I know like, um, a couple of friends in the community, um, actually a good amount of friends, in the community travel all the way to Washington, DC, mm. um, a couple of weeks ago, some of them ended up being champions of change in the community. Champions of change. Was that the White House event? It was yeah. the White House event. And what's um, champions of change mean? Is that like a special title they get? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it originally came from, um, the WWF <laughs> wrestling. Okay. I was going to no, be like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something that the White House, uh, it, you know, they put out this uh, call from the community, to um, nominate people in the Asian American community who have been just doing stuff that have really made change in this country, or at least, you know, like influencing change. And so, um, you know, a couple of people like Jenny Yang, you know, Taz, um, they got nominated. Um, it, it was it's really cool to see that happen, um, you know, I know a couple folks like, let's say Dan, Dan actually went over there and he was able to go on this like really cool tour of the white house. Mm. Um, and so I know they made a video about that. That's awesome. Um, so it was really cool. Just the different celebrations that are happening here in LA. Um, we got to participate in the committee, um, for Asian Pacific American heritage month. Last year was our first time being part of it, and uh, it wasn't that great. And we were, Trisha and I, we were really curious, like, how can L.A., you know, a city that has such a, you know, a large, you know, vibrant Asian-American community, how could it have such a weak-ass celebration? Like, it just <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense. Oh, I remember. It was, like, just in a plaza, and it was really Yeah, not, I, I yeah. didn't even know there was a celebration. Yeah, yeah. Right. No one knows. Right. Really last minute. So, uh, yeah. something that, you know, happened is, you know, Councilman David Rue, who's like a Korean-American. Uh, we have Commissioner Joel Jacinto, who's a Filipino-American, uh, to, as a commissioner of Public Department of Public Works. They decided to come together to put on a month-long celebration um, mm. just to, like, really do something big because they, rea- you know, they realize it, too. Um, mm. And so, like, this whole month has been just a bunch of different things. I know, uh, you know, just trying to capture what L.A. is. I know that's what the theme was, which is We Are L.A., and so last night, well, all of us were actually there for the closing ceremony, and it was really dope. I mean, the community came out; it was like a, a thousand plus people. The they lineup was the they blocked off the streets in front of City Hall. The stage was like incredible; it was right on the steps of City Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lineup was crazy. It was like headlining Janae Iko. You know, we had dumbfounded Aquafina, Run River North, Kevin O, Joseph Tribal Vincent. Theory, Joseph Vincent. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was a pretty cool reflection. Um, I mean, obviously, like, we would have appreciated having them, 
you know, the South Asian community represented. Mm. Um, but still, overall, it was a cool celebration and hope, hoping that it could, you know, happen. And our, our, our titled podcast turned up. We had our own little section, and we were just going crazy. Dan, Dan and I tried to start a mosh pit during <laughs> yeah. Run River North, but instead, we people just looked at us. But we got people <laughs> were taking Snapchats of us. Really? Oh, oh yeah. No. Yeah. So we're just some people's stories right now. <laughs> With that Champions of Change thing, I really feel like we should nominate each other for more things. How long um, have they been doing that Champions of Change White House? It's been a couple. It's been at least a few years. I think it's it's part of the just the past five years. It's though? part of the White House initiative on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Oh, nice. well done. Also known as WIAPI. Yeah, WIAPI. 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 And so I don't know. I, I assume it's a Barack thing. What what else has happened as well? Richie. I don't know. Richie My said, head's cloudy. Richie said you know some like mean? great music's coming out. I mean, there's always great music coming out. I think I was sharing earlier with them before we recorded. Um, just this week, <laughs> Yuna came out Yuna. with the album, that's Chapters. Right. Um, and that, and that's interesting. I, I, I love her sound. I know this is like her second album that she's really pushing here in the States. I mean, I think it was made here. Um, so, yeah. you know, has like, a, I mean, some track like was produced by Premier, DJ Premier. I mean, she got like Usher on it. Um, Janae yeah, Aiko's on, yeah. on it so, um, Watch out for that one Yeah, yeah. Um, I just downloaded it today So I'm, I haven't had a chance to actually listen to the whole thing mm-hmm. but Isn't that funny that we can say Like you downloaded an album And it doesn't sound like you did something illegal <laughs> <laughs> Like it once Like I feel like, like The verb yeah. download is, is Like an actual thing Like you can pay for something now Yeah Pay right. for a download. Pay for, Pay a, download. for a download. Yeah. Right. You know what's funny? Uh, so Trisha funny. and I, we have nieces and nephews that are like 12, 13. It's so opposite because Trisha and I were like, you know, we're trying to stay on top of music that comes from our community or just in general. Like, and, you know, a lot of it's like kind of leaning towards like trap and EDM and stuff. And we, we, you know, we try to stay current. But our nieces and nephews, they are totally into like 80s and 90s. So They're on this backwards. like, uh, yeah, wow. right? Yeah. children. I know, right? <laughs> Weird. So we what told them, we're like, hey, we have all this, we have such a collection of 80s and 90s because we were born around that time. So of <laughs> course we had that. And then we wanted to give it to them. So we said, hey, uh, we want to give it to you. Um, I could give you a hard drive and you guys can like check out the MP3s and put it on. They're like, what's an MP3? What? Oh no. What's an MP3? Oh, wait, 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 wait. They didn't know an MP3 no. was? No. <laughs> they didn't know a thing. They were like, how do oh I do God. that? Yeah, like, how like, do you listen you do? to music? Yeah, you, what do you do to get your music? They stream everything. They stream. It's on their phone. They just have everything. an app that How takes, do they like, know what the age is? Oh my gosh. This is, the, this is the most old people conversation. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's so crazy. No, no. Like, you, I, we were how tripping we out. Never, because, wait, no. How, like, MP, are MP3s really not? People don't download we, That's what threw us off. We're like, really? MP3s are like old. They don't yeah, know about file formats. No. They don't know about these things. Like, if I said, Oh, I'm gonna just send you the PDF, huh? You know, they 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 sort of wouldn't know what to do with these. It's okay. Files. They'll go to college. They'll have to do PowerPoint presentations. If that still exists. Well, PDFs that makes sense, but like (laughs) I know we've really moved past like the MP3. Yeah, right. And like I started this uh, reading this book about like uh, the music business and stuff, and it and that's what they're saying is like it's all streaming. Streaming streaming. is the, the new industry, and so. It's kind of a trip. That's so yeah. weird that we don't own, like, ownership is really it's like, shifted. Uh, I think it's, 
I don't know, maybe the music dichotomy and society in general, but like those extremes, right? So it's like you own nothing or you pay, you have money and you pay for the vinyl yeah. record and get the really nice packaging and special experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, that, that's really interesting about huh. ownership too, because I, yeah. I love owning the songs. Yeah. You know, like as cool as it, as it is to stream on Spotify or SoundCloud and stuff, like you never actually keep track of your songs. So you can build a library of 10,000 songs, but from what I've heard, sometimes those songs disappear, mm-hmm. right? So you won't know what those songs were. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, though, seeing how the music industry, I mean, as an artist, and uh, you guys, too, as um, being, being involved in the music community, just like, it seems like the music industry has always been a little bit behind in terms of agreeing and taking advantage of technology, um, which has left the industry in this like economic gap right now. So just seeing how people are going to continue trying to solve this shift of like non-ownership, streaming, and everything. So Yeah, so for like you, yeah. as me, the singer, songwriter, yeah. how do you anticipate monetizing your work? <laughs> First, you don't. <laughs> you don't anticipate any monetization. Um, let's see. So it's harder... Everyone says that it's all basically off of merchandise and touring nowadays. Um, so that's why... It's that's so interesting because it's even more about selling an image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather about than the an work event. itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like festivals. Uh-huh. Festivals are getting bigger. It's about like these experiences for people, building an experience um, and everything else in terms of the music. It's like people say you're... Your music is your business card now. Your song is your business card. Uh, and that's why you give it away for free, you know, and try to draw people in. And then the money is just everything else you can get. Sponsorships, touring, merchandise, publishing, like get a song on a TV show or something. But the music itself, it's, uh, it's hard. You probably can't make that much money off of it right now. So hopefully, um, I don't know, they're trying to like lobby for changing legislation for like licensing and music rights and stuff but you know that's like a a long road and so much audio is also consumed visually now so you have to have like really nice quality Mm, videos and And that's not always cheap i can imagine to to get all that yeah so then i wonder for like an asian american artist like I, i think part of what's this goes back to an earlier conversation we were having with like the whole what if you're is there is there more? Do you get bonus points for having a non Asian American audience? It's kind of like for Asian American audience artists, where part of that image is the fact that you are Asian American and that you will potentially draw more Asian American fans as a result. Like I wonder how this shifts then, as like Asian American artists become more and more visible, um, get a city hall concert headlined by Janae Aiko, who is like identifying as Asian American. And like it is like less, it potentially becomes less and less of an image builder, brand builder to just be like, I'm Asian, mm-hmm. period, you know? Like I wonder how that then shifts your position in the marketplace and your viability and, and sustainability. But it's, it's, a, it's fascinating. I, I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting time, I think, um, to be an Asian American artist as a result just because the music industry is changing so much. Yeah. Um, we're definitely in a moment, I think, where I feel like so much of history, like Asian Americans have had to really distance themselves from 
Asian America slash Asia mm. in order to find success. But I feel like this is the first year where it's actually been to people's benefit to claim Asian America, which, which is really evident in like the way that the social media sphere has gone. Mm, yeah. Um, especially in the wake of like all this whitewashing, how there's all these like hashtags that have come through, like was it praise in the Asian was a big one where people were just posting selfies of themselves. And that was like trending on Twitter. Oh, was it? Yeah. And then it was like praising the, pra- praising the Asian. I hate it. It was like such a bad hashtag, but like it was the idea was just like, look how awesome we are. Oh, We're Asian, okay. you know? Um, and then like there was, thing. and then there was like another one that was, um, I washed out mm-hmm. that was trending on Twitter. And I think there's just a lot more. Like, they were in a moment, I think, in the wake of a lot of stuff that's been happening for the past few years, yeah. where we don't have to be, that we can talk about being Asian American in a different kind of way. Whereas before, we had to do it, like, really, really um, vocally. Yeah. And then it was like, we, could, we didn't want to talk about it at all. And now I think we're sort of in this, this good middle ground where it's like, yeah. you know, my name's Janae Aiko, uh. but... That doesn't mean every song I talk about, I'm going to be talking about Japanese stuff. But at the same time, like, my daughter's name is Nami. (laughs) And I'm going to show up to stuff. And wear, like, kimono-inspired things. That's what's cool about, like, this month. It gives us a reason to celebrate. It gives us a reason to, you know, for some of us, you know, some some people just don't even think about their heritage, you know, and... When it's in your face, when it's being celebrated, when it's um, and, and not not just on a local level, but on a national level at the White House, mm. um, you know that's why this month is really cool. And but it should be a reminder that it's not just about this month. It should be every month, you know, where we're trying to appreciate heritage. Every month, uh, is every Asian month, oh, no, like our our, 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 year, our year, our year, our year, yeah, yeah. So I mean, with that, I think. You know, it's like you said, it's important to to continue. And I think, you know, at least in this podcast, we're doing a great job of trying to do that. We're Uh, doing a great job. Oh, gosh. Good job, guys. I think it was, you know, no, really, our topic, this podcast, podcast for um, song choices, you know, revolves around exactly that. We we decided to go with um, songs that sort of speak to our personal heritages and, uh, is that a word? Heritages? <laughs> it is now. Heritages. Heritages. Heritage. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so, like heresy. You know, we, we obviously, we come from different backgrounds, which is great. And I personally love that we, we went this way for, um, for this month. So mm. it could be a song in any language. I'm not sure. Right. Right. Mm. So we went for whatever personally. <laughs> It'll be a lot of stuff. Yeah. Relate Let's do it. ourselves. Yeah. Because so, um, I mean, I, th- I think like Her- Heritage Month, we oftentimes think of it in terms of like, like everybody's history. Mm-hmm. Mm. All twenty million of us. And however yeah. many countries. And so then I'm just so it's like like how can we like rather than like initially we were gonna try to tackle the entirety of Asian American <laughs> history. Well, not tacky. In, in one hour. One hour, four Actually, songs. Four songs, 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but then we were like, let's just, let's just like simplify it. Let's, let's bring it back, it back home. Yeah. Right. So these are, these are very personal. She's reaching for the cup just Trisha to narrow what's happening. the cup holder. All right. Dinga, 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 dinga. Dinga, dinga. Ooh. Mesme. Is it? For my song, I, I'm Taiwanese American and my parents both 
came uh, to the U.S., immigrated from Taiwan about 35 years ago. They, they came around 1980, and I have an older brother. He and I were both born here. And so I chose a song. Okay, well, I didn't really grow up with a lot of music in the household. My parents weren't, like, fixated on music. So this song that kind of speaks to my heritage and that I remember growing up with is um, a Taiwanese lullaby. And um, it's in Taiwanese, so it's in a dialect of... Chinese and some people um, maybe haven't heard of it before. I don't know much about it, but it's like a mutually unintelligible dialect. So it's basically like another language. Um, but it's what my parents speak to each other and what they kind of spoke to us. It was mixed with Mandarin Chinese. So I don't speak it very well and I actually don't understand that much of it, but I just recognize this melody in this song. So let y'all hear it. this song is I don't think I knew this before but when I was asking my mom the title of this song so I couldn't like find it online to get the sound file um, she was like oh do you know this song was written by my choir director and I was like what so I've heard her talk about this choir that she was in as a kid and this choir director before but I don't remember him like being the composer of this song so that's really cool so she was basically in this chorus as a kid called glory star choir and it was started by this guy named um lu chuan sheng and he's i guess apparently one of the eminent um an original like choir conductors that just brought choral music to taiwan and so a lot of kids um i guess at least in her area in taipei were um, able to be exposed to music and to sing and um just learn and socialize on a musical level that way and I know for her it was a great experience she um, treasures it musically but also just as like part of her childhood and it's something that um, I think really just exposed the country to to music as well as um, helping them just develop maybe try and develop their own kind of music Taiwan's I think identity has always been hard because it's um if you guys know the history of it it was colonized like Korea from about 1900 to 1950 roughly by Japan and then um in 1950 it was under martial law 
and because for Taiwan the KMT came and for Korea it was Korean War but for Taiwan um, the KMT the Kuomintang party got kicked out by communism in China and they came to Taiwan and kind of took over the government and that was actually when um, Taiwanese was banned people usually spoke Taiwanese that's what my parents speak and my grandma speaks my grandma speaks both Japanese and Taiwanese from the colonization and the education but Taiwanese is like the home language so my parents speak Mandarin Chinese and Taiwanese um, from growing up in their era and so um, but nowadays kids because you know, with the government change and the education change, kids mostly don't know Taiwanese nowadays, unless you're like from the South, where Taiwanese is more of like a stronghold language and, um, and a pride language. But like my cousins, I go back, I think they understand it, but they don't speak it. So it's kind of dying out, which is sad. Um, and also part of the reason why I chose a Taiwanese lullaby. But yeah, so it's just interesting. I think um, a song that is in Taiwanese that I can recognize, but I don't know all the words to, and just has um, this personal connection with my mom and how she grew up with music, even though um, she loves music. It's not like something she talks about all the time and passes on to me. So it's through this song and this like old tune that I can actually talk to her about, oh, what did you do mm. when you were a kid? What kind of music mm. did you like? And yeah. Connect with her on that level. When did you first hear it? Like when I was super little, probably when I was like a baby. Because, oh yeah, so the the lyrics are like, So kun means sleep, and ia is like baby. Um, and like when I, I never understood what it was other than like baby and sleep. But when I looked at someone's translation of it, I was like, wow, this is like a really sweet lullaby. Um, but it's also quite like you know, if I can generalize, quite Asian in its meaning. Like the last verse is translated as, children are precious as gold. You are our responsibility. I will see you through your wedding day. Only then will I take my rest. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's all of expectation that there's going to be a wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> the verse before right. is like, the lad will take a bride and the last will have a husband. Oh, wow. Ooh. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. And Dang, then, they're singing that to you when you're a baby. That, that, that baby's oh, in the crib like, well, <laughs> I'm just trying to like sleep <laughs> and poop. So. Come on, easy. I don't know when this wedding is going to happen. Wow. <laughs> they're looking ahead. They're looking <laughs> way ahead. Yeah. Wait, so what is your viewpoint on weddings? What like, do you mean? Like, like do, do you have you question. been imagining? Like, oh, no. The bi- oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not on radar. So it didn't did work. No. <laughs> they should have taught us more Taiwanese. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thanks for sharing all that. That's really interesting yeah, information. Yes. And for yeah, the history as well. Right. I'm going to go and spin that cup. And spin the cup. Spin the cup. Spin the cup. Spin the cup. Richie. Put her hand a little bit in there. So, this song that I chose, it, it really, it actually came really fast because for my family, um, you know, there's an area of the Philippines known as the Visayan Islands. Um, you know, my family comes from a place called uh, Cebu. Mm-hmm. And um, within the Philippines, there's a bunch of little towns or provinces. And uh, my family comes from a province called Katmon. It's a really small, really small town by the sea. And um, 
I think a lot of families that come to the states that immigrated, you know, they're they're always trying to like you know feel attached to their home country still, mm-hmm. and so once a year they tend to throw celebrations. Our family put together, um, they call them fiestas. We have fiestas every year, and um, that was something I just always remembered going to every year. Um, and it was something that we celebrated and remind us of like what our province was, something that we celebrated being proud to be Filipino. Um, and it was like five hours of like programming and dancing and food. And it was always in like a community hall. Um, and, uh, these, uh, celebrations were, were, were they like specific to different regions? Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause Japanese Americans did that too. Oh really? Back oh, in the day, we really? kind of, we kind of have them now, but it's like by province in yeah. Japan. Okay. They yeah. These like picnics. And, yeah. No. Yeah, the, so Japanese, like the, the culture here, you don't hear about that as often. Not as often. I mean, they still happen, but like my mom grew up going to these, like they're called, um, Kenjinkai picnics. So the okay. Kenjinkai, oh. so the Ken, the Ken is like a, prefecture okay so it'd be like a prefectural association and so my mm. my great-grandpa was the president of ours oh, wow. and so my mom grew up going to these races and where they'd have well, these, these have picnics where they'd be like games with the kids and the kids would like be racing and they'd win things like giant Aww. tins of soy sauce like things that no <laughs> child needs but like um yeah and so we actually have footage like home video footage of these like picnics from like the 60s where there's just like all these kids running around and like three generations of grown-ups so it's yeah yeah um our our, fa- our families you know they still do the same and the different provinces celebrate it differently like mm-hmm. like um the private the, the celebrations and fiestas are because philippines is um predominantly catholic a lot Mm. of the um province celebrations the fiestas are tied to patron saints Hmm. so for my particular family our patron saint is saint william um we call him san guillermo um and so there's a song that always gets sung every time we always start (laughs) off with like a mass we always start off with like a, a mass and uh you know we have a priest that we normally invite from the philippines if we can, we fly him over to oh just goodness. like celebrate. Wait, is Guillermo William? Yeah, but yeah. So uh, the the mass is really important and a part of the celebration where we start with it. And uh, at the end of the mass, there's always like this parade around the hall where <laughs> they have a statue of you know San Guillermo, and they just go around like ten times singing this song. Wow! Right, this one particular song, you know, basically talking about the saint. Um, and then two years ago, my dad, um, he's retired, so he goes with my mom to the Philippines like six months at a time. They decided to record it. They decided, <laughs> let's, instead of us just like singing it with like a choir uh, by ourselves and being dependent on like a band, let's just record it as a backtrack and let's, you know, have it played. So I, I'm actually going to play that track because my dad's in it and it's a bunch of his homies his Aww. priest homies and um priest homies yeah priest homies yes. Hashtag priest homies yeah. yeah shout out well something about my stepdad I'll talk about some other time he actually studied to be a priest but anyway <laughs> uh, yeah this is the song that we played at our fiesta
Yeah, so. Hey, hey. Hey. Oh gosh! Yeah. Some we can trapify that. Sound. Actually, we did. <laughs> we have a trap version. Oh, your full trap project—that's like the next. Why angle. didn't you play that? I Do you want me to? Do I mean, it. Yes. I'd yes. be happy to hear that. <laughs> okay. I'm not against it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> okay, here's the here's the terrible trap version that I made in like five <laughs> minutes because we're we just Trisha and I were sitting there and we're like, dude, it totally has like a trap tempo. <laughs> Do with your time, like do. You... Telling you. Oh lord. <laughs> like, I'm telling you. I like how you question. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> is this what you do? Is this what you do? This is not productive. Oh no. I feel like I'm not against it. I'm just. Not feeling it. I'm a DJ, it. and I'm always like thinking about <laughs> how you make. So I need, That's why you think about I'm gonna need you to drop that though at the next like Asian American oh, event. But yeah, no, that that um, that song that um, it just it feels like home. It feels like mm. family. Just I want to put this on record. I wasn't trying to be serious with that trap remix. <laughs> all right. You know, my projection skills are a little bit better than that. Well, it, def it definitely, it definitely came out serious, though. I think yeah, you really? really? You did a real, real strong job there. <laughs> that was like two minutes of my time. <laughs> it's the best two minutes ever. Let's spin cool. the cup. You or me, Sean. It's you or me. Spin the cup. Spin the cup. Spin the cup. Spin the cup. Oh, that's pointing right at it. Like said, right. by the way. So, in talking about songs that sort of touch your heart, <laughs> I was thinking about my mom, who uh, grew up pretty much playing the piano since she was, what, five or something like that. And, you know, I, I've always known her to be, you know, a great piano teacher. She's, mm -hmm. you know, she, she had a bachelor in music in the Philippines, which, you know, after me growing up thinking about that, I'm like, wow, this is very unique to hear about, you know, mm -hmm. a person of her age, I think specializing in music and making yeah. something of that, you know, and then immigrating to the United States, you know, she continued to teach piano and make that her career, which was amazing and, and still live to raise four kids and be pretty dang successful, mm. you know, back in the seventies when they came, but I don't know. I thought that was very unique and, and yeah, so we were digging through some old stuff and, um, my mom had found her original record, um, that she had made when she graduated from college. And this record is pretty much her graduation performance uh, in the Philippines. Gosh, this must have been in the probably late 50s when she did this and recorded this. Um, but it was her graduation piece, playing with an orchestra you'll hear um, on this track. And anyway, let's have a listen.
Yeah. But anyway, so uh, special. I was just telling telling folks while we had everything muted. So we converted this old record that we found uh, into a CD so my mom could, you know, play it everywhere. Was it anywhere. like a vinyl? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. on a yeah, record vinyl. Um, you know, old original sleeve that was browning and vintage so looking. Cool. It was great, yeah, when we found it. And she's like, oh, wow, you know. Mm. So it was, it was great to, to rediscover that. But, um, you know, I was just happy that I had the chance to go and talk with her more about her experience in playing the piano. And so, you know, I, I told her mom, you must have really, you know, this was your passion. How did you even start to playing, you know, piano? She said, well, I was forced to. And so her aunt, who was her, well, adopted by her aunt. So that was her mom. That's what she knew as her mom. Anyway, I guess had also played the piano, but never really went far with it. So she forced her my mom to go into you know piano lessons taking wow. piano lessons she was five and just kept on going and in college she went to my mom went to an all-girls boarding school somewhere you know mm. away from where home was um so she she you know she doesn't love it she's, was she's forced like, to i don't do hate it. it but that's you're right how she feels. <laughs> but she doesn't hate it of course because she did continue to teach mm. piano forever and um Anyway. Well, Sean, right. you want to share what you have today? All right. I, I wasn't really sure how to tackle this one. I kind of felt like... Um, I, I think it's funny that like we all picked songs that were from the, the homeland. homeland. And like I was trying to think through like what I would pick. And if I were to pick one, honestly, it would probably be like an American folk song. Just because I grew up listening to like Joni Mitchell and all this stuff. Because my mom, again, was like a, oh. a teenager in the 60s. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to pick like a, an American song and, and talk about all that. <laughs> what? So yeah, so when I was thinking about this song, um, it was kind of a weird process, actually, because I was trying to figure out how far back I would go, what I think about when I think about heritage, what does history mean to me, because I don't like to get caught in the idea that history means that it's like old, old, you know, like I feel like one thing that we have to remember is like history is being made every day. Mm -hmm. And it's important to honor the fact that like some of the most impactful things in our lives are only a generation back. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a point of huge trauma. So I'm like, I could pick something that's about the camps. I could pick something about the civil rights movement. Um, but at the end, I, I picked this song um, that my great aunt tells me that my great grandfather used to sing and he was apparently a very very stoic man but he would sing this one song to himself um it's a old japanese song so listeners just just bear with me on it um it's called namida no wataridori which means like a tearful bird of passage um yeah it's sad but like it's a happy melody Anyway, we'll talk more about it later. But yeah, so um, just bear with, just just keep keep on keeping on, like keep listening. I know, like you're probably halfway through, going to be like, "What is this?" And I want to turn away, but just keep going. All right. Oh, <laughs> 
Japanese people freaking love to be sad. <laughs> That's like a major national pastime. It's just like being sad. The drama's devoted to it. Like the music is just all. Like it can be the happiest sounding song, and the lyrics are just like, oh, this is not a happy song. Like even in the, in the 60s, there was a song, um, which got trans that brought to America as a skiaki song, which like got really popular in America and actually hit number one on the Billboard charts um, because of its happy, catchy melody. But the lyrics were like about this guy who's crying. So this song um, is from 1933. It's sung by this woman named Kobayashi Chiyoko, and it's from a film of the same name, um, Namida no Watari Dori. Uh, which again is poetically translated as like a tearful bird of passage. So it's um, the song is about like Owatari um, Dori literally means like a bird of passage. So it's like a, a, a transient, it's like a metaphorical kind of um, term that sort of refers to like a, a person who is like a, a, a migrant worker hmm. or something like that, somebody who's moving around a lot, like a, a nomad. Um, and then obviously like tearful, right? And so the lyrics for the first verse are like, um, on days when it's raining, uh, even on days when it rains, even on days when it's, um, windy, like, like I, I am crying, like, because I am like a tearful bird of passage, like, and then it's like, um, I won't cry. I won't cry because if I cry, like I'll lose control of my wings. Mm. Um, and so, if you think about it contextually, um, like my my great grandfather came to America around 1911. His dad had come already um, to work in a mine, like in a coal mine in Utah. Mm. So he came to join his dad in this like mining town. They didn't have much of them in Japan. And when you at that time, it's like when you leave. A country, you're on like a steamboat, you know, or a boat or whatever. There's no guarantee that you're gonna make your way all the way back to Japan. You're gonna go on the ship, which could capsize. Um, and so it's like once you leave, you're kind of leaving, and that's kind of it, which I think for people our age is a little bit hard to even imagine, right? Right. Yeah. Like it's hard to imagine. Not being able to go back because of planes, like it just—it's it, not. But like my my grand my great grandfather came here. We worked in a coal mine, and then he sent for a wife in Japan, who, who was the term is a, a picture bride. So what you do is you send a photo of yourself with like a little bit of a bio, mm -hmm. and then somebody in Japan would match you with a wife, and the wife would get sent to America. And so she had the choice of either going to Brazil or to Utah and wow. chose this, this man in Utah. And um, she had never met him before. And uh, her parents like begged her not to go. Wow. Um, and she was like, no, I'm gonna go anyway. And then she like ended up with this like, in this like desolate coal mining town in the middle of this country. She'd never been in before, a language she didn't speak. Mm. So like there, there's something about that, like the whole, like this, this, this generation of pioneers who, who came to America and really were like the first people who looked like them in mm -hmm. this country. Um, and I mean, I think we talk a lot about like the oppression and all of that and the victimization and discrimination, da, 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 da. but like there's kind of this amazing resilience to that. I think a lot about, 
um, and with a song like this, um, it, again, it was it was made by this like Japanese singer. I'm sure just like the vinyl made its way to America. Um, by this point, like my grandfather would have been. What was it? What it, it was like five years before my grandfather was born when the song came out. Um, so just like thinking about this man, like making a life for himself in America, and then potentially like you know if the stories are true, like singing the song to himself is a little bit heart wrenching in a way. Mm. Um, and so it's it's a reminder to me, you know, like it's it's not it's that like you know they they weren't just as stoic. The historic generation, but they were they were thinking about their situation and they were full complete people and music was one way to cope. I I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I was just thinking to myself, um, you sharing about the the generations like your family goes back like lots of generations in this country, and I guess when I think about my family experience, it's limited to just how many generations my family's been here. So right. like. 60s 70s and but thinking about yours and how it's so long and how you were talking about how you know the immigration choices that they made back then were so permanent right like limited Mm -hmm. to obviously to transportation but i was just imagining in my head you know my family never had to really think about that they could always go back home to the philippines if they wanted to but like you're saying like i was just thinking dang that is so brave for people to just like come through and just you know it risk their lives like yeah i mean obviously we risk our lives by taking planes and cars and whatever <laughs> but in that sense it's you know back then it wasn't as safe as it is now so like risking life mm-hmm. um you know leaving family it, the permanency of it I, I don't know i guess i had a moment like right now where i'm like gosh how brave it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, so brave. I, I couldn't do. I definitely could not yeah, do that. Like could you know, final, yeah. it's final. Like yeah. it's it's so big. And I mean, I think I mean you know a lot of people did go back. It's not like in the end. I think it was you know they figured it out. Some people went back to Japan if they needed to. I know a lot of like Chinese laborers came over with the intention of going back. Oftentimes unable to afford the trip mm-hmm. once they were here. Um, so yeah, it was just a completely different time um so it, it's it's fascinating to think about that and how that's really impacted i think the way that everything's evolved but yeah so that that's why that's why i picked that one because i think it's a it's a testament to um the folks who worked hard so that i could be alive today yeah and i'm grateful and respectful of that mm-hmm. and yeah Heritage Month. Oh, so interesting. No, I think that was a cool way to to, to tie it all in. It's a, it's a cool reminder that the you know the generations that we have existed here um, from Asia t- coming over here to America have been here for a very long time, and um, I think that's why it's cool with us you know having this podcast uh, dedicated to the month. Uh, celebrating the month. I think that was a really cool last song. Sean always ends up having the last song. Yeah. And, I, and I think it always ties in, man. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It has that holistic thinking. Tie that together. Yeah. To get that energies. <laughs> but yeah, so with that, this is the end of this landmark episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Huge thanks to Trisha and Richie for having us in their living room. Yes. Huge. The studio. The studio. Who the you? studio. <laughs> Huge hello to Dan, a.k.a. Dan, who is out there touring and changing the world. 
All right, and we will see you next time on the Untitled Asian American Music Podcast. We are trying to get our stuff onto iTunes, etc. It'll happen ASAP. We will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Don't get sick, people. Don't get sick. Be healthy across the internet. Live well.